morning, Columbia Portage Grill. Hi there. Uh, do you folks have a salad bar by chance? We do not. You don't. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. No problem. Bye. Okay. Bye. It is September 1984, and there's something a little funky about the homemade ranch dressing at the Dal's Salad Bar. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked-out history folks at orhistory.com. I'm your host, Andy Lindbergh, and under the guidance of resident historian Doug Kent Crispin, we profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. Kick-Ass Oregon History is a presentation of ORHistory.com and is supported by listeners like you. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit ORHistory.com and click Donate. Every once in a while, you get a hankering for a good salad bar. But what happens when that hankering hits you while you're passing through the Dalles, Oregon? The Dalles is a wonderful place for a day trip, as the resident historian and some friends recently discovered. Dave Strom of Dave Knows Portland and Brock Dittis of the Sprockets podcast came along for the adventure and an opportunity to explore the Dalles. There's plenty to see in the Dalles. The Columbia Gorge Discovery Center and Museum is one of our favorites, and the Fort Dalles Museum is quirky and absolutely worth a visit. In the downtown proper, impressive murals await the walking visitor. There are even several historic Bigfoot encounter sites, including the Pinewood Mobile Manor, Oregon's own Bigfoot trailer park. But interestingly enough, there are not many salad bars to visit in this hospitable little town. Basically, salad bars are very few in this town. I mean, I have one here at the college, and there's one downtown Sugar Bowl, and other than that, there's no other salad bars that I'm aware of. I know what you're thinking, dear ass kicker. Why the scarcity of sumptuous salad bars in the Dalles? Allow us to tell you. In the summer of 1981, a group of strangers settled into central Oregon. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. Distinctively dressed in all burgundy attire, they were quite unique. The Oregonian's Eastern Oregon reporter, Les Zeitz, tells us about the Rajneeshi. Sun reveals her hills and plains. Well, this was a movement that started in India. Uh, India is a place where there are what they refer to as godmen. These are, are street preachers and self-styled gurus who who move from town to town, university to university, street corner to street corner. Uh, selling their their version of of uh, the word so to speak 
And uh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh was a very charismatic uh, guru in in Bombay, uh, now Mumbai, who attracted a significant following among Westerners, uh, uh, particularly uh, uh, Germans in uh, uh, Western European countries and, and from the United States. And it was a movement that... Uh, was was quite controversial in India because India, in many ways, is a very conservative country when it comes to, to morals and personal conduct. And the guru was quite fond of, of uh, no no holds barred, no limits, uh, do what you can to set your spirit free. That put them crosswise with the governments in India, and at one point they were under tremendous pressure to leave. They were actually... Uh, Leaving India ahead of tax authorities and other other uh, investigators who were closing in on this operation, and decided to move the operation to the United States. And they started out in the East Coast. The Guru's uh, primary personal secretary, Mahanand Sheila, searched the country to find a new uh, base camp, so to speak. And uh, a, a ranch broker from uh, down south knew about this listing on this property for a place called the Big Muddy Ranch out in Oregon. So Sheila and her husband and a couple of others came out, toured the property, which is 64,000 acres, uh, you know, a little bit east of the town of Antelope, (coughs) and made a deal to buy it. And uh, that became what essentially was uh, Rajneesh Purim and uh, Rancho Rajneesh. The Rajneeshis were definitely a curiosity in central Oregon. When they first arrived, there was just a handful, and they were talking about, you know, they were going to be a commune and do farming and restore the land, and, and it was sort of an amusing story. You know, people dressed in red, and they had these malas with this picture of this wistfully bearded uh, guru that they, they uh, revered. And from that small base, uh, it grew and grew and grew. And as you say, they did eventually set up operations in Portland and became quite quite obvious in town. Come on over, baby. A whole lot of shake is going on. Come over to the buffet. Baby, you can't go wrong. We got fast Shanky's Bunch of Lunch Buffet, served every day from 11 to 1.30. Waterloo, we Cedar had Falls, the chance to chat with Dave Lutkins, who owned the Shakey's Pizza in the Dalles in the 1980s. Would Rajneeshis typically come into Shakey's to have lunch, or would you see them now and again about the Dalles? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were, you know, when they, when they first came to town, the aluminum plants had closed, and our economy was flat on its butt. So here were these people that spent money lavishly, and... I don't think anybody made an issue of them at all. The first uh, year or so, it was, it was really good, you know. It was nice to have that money coming in. They ate at the restaurant occasionally. They were always, were their purple, I guess it was purple or uh, burgundy, I guess it was, with their amulet and everything. So you'd see them, but not so much the later years when this happened. But the first couple of years, they were, they were quite visible. Mayor Stephen Lawrence, the current mayor of the Dalles, Oregon, had a slightly different take. I think... The residents basically 
were apprehensive from the very beginning. There was a lot of questions. There was a lot of secrecy. And from the very beginning, there were some people in the community who took advantage of the amount of money that the Rajneeshi had. I'll give you an example. Uh, one rancher who was selling cattle at a pretty fair price they would also go, for instance, to a plumber, and they would say, uh, you come out and do all of our plumbing, we'll give you twice what you earn for the same job. And it was just a lot of questions that went on from the very beginning. But there was a economic impact in the Dows from the Rajneeshis coming in right off the bat, correct? There was. But things took a turn out at Rancho Rajneesh. Les Zeitz explains. What would happen is that they, they, to fund this operation, which was consuming millions of dollars, you know, they're, they're building uh, 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 residences, they're building you know, dance halls and lecture halls and building roads and putting in uh, dams, you know, just consuming millions of dollars. And one of the primary fundraisers they had was what they called their annual festival, which drew out to the ranch thousands and thousands of people from literally around the world who paid dearly for the privilege to come sit at the feet of the guru and listen to his lectures and then engage in, you know, the quote-unquote summer camp activities of Rancho Rajneesh. And uh, what what happened is as as the 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 strains of sustaining this operation took hold of the leadership. Uh, they became more and more desperate to consolidate their ability to, to generate revenue, but also to consolidate their power over the whole organization. And it took on a very, very dark side uh, at the command level to the point that, as, as we all know now, uh, to the point that they were uh, stalking people to kill uh, f- folks who they thought were their enemies and were investigating them. They were uh, secretly uh, taping conversations, both on telephones and around the hotel and, and as a number of locations. Uh, they were smuggling in uh, illegal weapons. They were uh, growing their own strains of, of salmonella in their own clandestine laboratory. Uh, it just became more and more bizarre as as their strain uh, increased by the month. I'm trying to impress people here, Lisa. You don't win friends with salad. 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 I didn't mean to take sides. I just got caught up in the rhythm. Yes, it was a Sunday, and we would do typically 350 people for lunch, and we'd always come in after church, and I came in with friends, and uh, by that afternoon I was getting sick, and by the next morning I was really sick, and uh, friends of ours ended up in the hospital with it, so it was, it was a nasty day. So tell us about the salmonella. Well, one of, one of the things they had done uh, is that they, they 
wanted to form their own city in, in at the ranch, which they did. They voted and created Rajneesh Purim, but the state authorities were challenging whether that was even legal. So as a back backdrop, uh, a backstop measure, they, they moved into the nearby town of Antelope, which is not near Ghost Town, had about 30 residents, and literally uh, politically took over the town. They moved enough uh, sannyasins into town that they outnumbered the local voters, uh, voted in their own uh, school board, voted in uh, the city council, renamed the town Rajneesh, and then Manan Sheila thought, well, if you can take over a city, let's try taking over a county. And they wanted to take over Wasco County, which is uh, where the Dallas is, the county seat, and, and where much of the ranch was located. And they had a number of uh, uh, theories or conspiracies about how to, to win the, the elections for the county commission. And one of the theories, that, one of the things they wanted to do was suppress voter turnout. In other words, they wanted to move Rajneeshis into town. Uh, and then uh, keep uh, as many locals from going to the polls as they could. Uh, this was in the days before vote by mail, of course. And so at one point they thought, well, we'll poison the water system for the Dallas. And they actually scouted out a, the main water reservoir for uh, the city of the Dallas and uh, found a way to a screen and cut through the screen to see if they could get to the water. And apparently some of their their own scientists, I mean, these, these they had very intelligent people as part of this operation, told them, you know, you would never be able to put enough poison in that huge amount of water to make any effect. So they finally resorted to this more bizarre and diabolical plan of, of poisoning people in town. And the way they did that was they uh, went into town over several days in disguise with the salmonella bacteria that they had uh, cultured at the ranch and spread the salmonella on salad bars in 10 different restaurants. And of course, uh, people became violently ill, um, deathly ill, the hospitals were overwhelmed, um, and the federal government and the state government sent in investigators and health experts, and they knew what was causing uh, the sickness, but they couldn't figure out the source. And before it was all said and done, the authorities uh, cataloged 751 people who had been sickened by this attack. And as you mentioned in your article, Interstate 84 runs right through the Dallas, so truckers, travelers, others, not just yep. residents of Wasco County were affected. Right, and so uh, the, the epidemiologists uh, uh, think the, the number of 751 is conservative, that you did have a lot of travelers, because many of these restaurants were right along the freeway, that you had travelers who would stop in for lunch and you know drive another four or five, six hours and get to Spokane or Boise or Points East and get sick and never make the connection between where they ate and where they got sick. So uh, the, the number, number who actually got sick by this has got to be quite a bit higher. Salmonella is a bacteria that can appear as a foodborne illness. It pops up every once in a while, often in food service, like the outbreak in Portland in June of 2015 that sickened more than 50 people at the Open Source Bridge Conference at the Elliott Center. It is a mean little bug, and can be deadly. The CenterForDiseaseControl.gov website informs us that Most people infected with salmonella develop diarrhea, fever, and abdominal cramps between 12 and 72 hours after the infection. 
The illness usually lasts four to seven days, and most individuals recover without treatment. In some cases, diarrhea may be so severe that the patient needs to be hospitalized. In these patients, the salmonella infection may spread from the intestines to the bloodstream and then to other body sites. In these cases, salmonella can cause death unless the person is treated promptly with antibiotics. Atlas Obscura calls the Dal's salad bar attack the first, the largest, and the worst bioterrorism attack in the United States. We asked Les Zeitz if this was appropriate to call the attack terrorism. Look at the definition of terrorism, which is to use all sorts of means to try and affect uh, political change and force political change. Uh, it, yeah, it's probably a, a fair, fair term. Dave Lutkins tells us about the long-term effects of the terrorist attack on his Shakey's restaurant. And what do you think the effect was on the community after that poisoning? It was the largest bioterrorism attack in the United States. Was, uh, was there some apprehension for folks about going out to eat after that? Uh, it definitely changed our mix. We never, we never recovered from uh, that event. I mean, I had people that told me they knew it wasn't my fault, but they just couldn't eat there anymore. You know, it was just, it was a, it, it changed my life forever because we were getting ready to open a store in Hood River, and uh, <laughs> that turned out to be a disaster. I started out, I was going to open up and have it free and clear, and ended up with about. Uh, I think I had to borrow fifty or sixty thousand dollars just to finish everything and get it going because we had seventy-eight. I think we figured seventy-eight percent of our business disappeared overnight from one week to the next. It was devastating. Uh, I don't think the long-term, the long-term effects on it. Uh, I think most of the restaurants that had it closed. I think Taco, Taco Bell or Taco Time that had a little salsa bar. They're still there, but uh, the Dallas Mayor Lawrence agrees. The only one I can think of is at the Casa El Mirador, which is a Hispanic restaurant, and um, they have Hispanic foods along with a small salad bar. So you can choose to go up there and get your tacos and that sort of thing, and there is salad with it. But no, you do not see salad bars around in the restaurants. Les Zeitz of the Oregonian gives us a little perspective on the larger implications for the Rajneeshi salad bar attack. Well, a, a number of the restaurants went out of business um, because it was quite a long time before they figured out uh, what, what had happened. Um, and the, the, the poor restaurants, uh, you know, business just died off, and it, it, as I said, several of them went out of business. It put the community of the Dalles on edge for a long time. You know, people uh, were very concerned about, you know, what's next, what's going to happen. Um, but uh, it wasn't too long after that, that they, about a year later, I think it was, that the commune collapsed and the leadership was arrested. So as, as far as the long-term effects, um, you know, all of this uh, led to, to new state laws to tighten up uh, voter registration laws and, and uh, how you could register and when and under what circumstances. Dinner is symbolic of enjoying life. When you share food, you become brothers, because food is associated with love. 
Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. Hey there, do you folks have a salad bar by chance? Uh, yes, we do. Okay, excellent. Uh, how many plates is it just once, or can you go back? Uh... Just a second, please. Oh, okay. Haven't asked you to hear an agent phone yet, what? Oh, uh, just curious, can you go uh, for multiple plates, or is it a one-plate deal? It's a one-plate. We have small salads and large salads, yes. Okay, sounds good. Is there baby corn? Is it ready right now, you uh, Is there baby corn? Okay, all right. That still sounds good, though. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Our Dal's Day Trippers decided that a salad bar lunch would be a good historic repast for their Columbia River Gorge excursion they went to Lutkin's current-day restaurant, Dave's Hometown Pizza, which is on the campus of the Columbia Gorge Community College, overlooking the Dalles. Dave's Salad Bar was a solid contribution to the genre, if a fairly institutional setting. Cucumbers, ham chunks, a slaw with raisins and bacon, cottage cheese, and multiple dressings were all available at Dave's Salad Bar, which is perfect as this refreshing salad bar is one of your few options for your hankering in the Dalles. So, Dave, how did you find uh, Dave's salad bar? Pretty pretty impressive. So far, I feel pretty good. I don't have any uh, intestinal difficulties. And Brock, uh, how, how did you find Dave's salad bar? We barely found it. It's difficult to find. <laughs> But inside this cafeteria, they have a fabulous salad bar. It's a small one, but they have everything you need for salad. <laughs> Which is like lettuce and dressing, right? <laughs> we, we can have, I, you, you were quite pleased with the raisins in the slaw-type salad. I was, but you know how you save things for, you know, like you, you see this certain food and you're like, I'm going to eat that last because this is going to be tasty. I'm saving this for like the, the best thing. That was the pasta salad. And I was underwhelmed by the pasta salad. It was not terrible. It was it was pasta salad, but it did uh, you know? I think the slaw with the raisins was better. It also had bacon. I think that that was the the key. Oh, it did. Yeah. In the slaw. Yeah. Maybe you didn't get a piece of the bacon. <laughs> it's like bush beans, where there's just like one. <laughs> or, or was it like some bacon bits that accidentally fell into the slaw maybe, salad? Yeah, maybe I uh, spilled some into my and salad. Dave, what was your favorite part of Dave's salad bar? <laughs> Besides lack of salmonella. Good ranch dressing. Yeah. Homemade? It could have been. It was in a tub, not the bottles like the other ones. So. Well, I you guess know, yeah. You know if it comes in a tub that it was homemade. There's no way they transferred <laughs> that material from one thing to another. This has never been inside of a bottle. If you go to the east side of the county courthouse, you'll see an antelope statue and that was a gift to Wasco County from the town of Antelope which of course they tried to rename uh, I think to Rajneesh Purim or something like that and it was a thank you for Wasco County for helping to 
get rid of the Rajneesh. I think most people in town were tremendously relieved to see that era end because it just kept getting more bizarre and more bizarre. You know, we had the fire that was out at the Washington Codes where uh, they broke in and uh, got into files and then um, set a fire to try to cover their tracks. There were a lot of things going on. And, of course, they brought in uh, homeless people to try to rig the vote on a county election. So toward the end, uh, there were so many things happening that there were actually reports that uh, gun sales were way up in Wasco County. And I think that it speaks to the fear that was among the residents. As the Dow's Mayor Lawrence told us, the Wasco County Courthouse is adorned with a beautiful bronze sculpture of an antelope. Designed by sculpture Jim Neely, the wonderful work is titled Freedom Memorial. Affixed to the statue is a plaque. It reads, Dedicated to all who steadfastly and unwaveringly oppose the attempts of the Rajneesh followers to take political control of Wasco County, 1981 through 1985. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Edmund Burke. I've always wanted to do a Rajneeshi story, but I wanted to have a little different angle for the tale. It's one that's been told a bunch. There are plenty of good accountings of the Rajneeshis. Les Zeitz wrote a fantastic five-part retrospective for the Oregonian a few years back, and both 99% Invisible and OPB's Oregon Experience have solid broadcasts on the topic. And to be honest, I've been wanting to do a story on the Dalles for quite a while now. It's just such a unique Oregon town, and it's chock full of character and history too. And sadly, part of that legacy is that it also happens to be the location of the first and the largest bioterror attack in the United States, a unique qualifier, and hopefully one that will not be topped anytime soon. And hopefully, as we move further away from that horrific terrorist attack, we will again see even more salad bars springing up in the Dalles, Oregon. Do you think there's still an aversion to salad bars in the Dalles to this day? <laughs> You know, it wasn't too long ago that I stopped in the Dalles for for dinner, and I I had no concern that the salads were contaminated. But I did pause just for a moment because I did flash back to that episode and and thinking, you know, just how evil do you have to be to do that to people who have never done a thing to you that you don't know, whose lives you're going to disrupt, whose lives you're going to threaten, because you want to achieve a political aim. I mean, it, it, even to this day, it, it, it just strikes me as just such a purely evil act uh, that, that I, I can never look at a salad bar the same anymore. Son, look at all the people in this restaurant. What do you think they weigh? Not the wind into the parking lot. 
at their SUVs, taking all of the space. They give no fuck, they talk as loud as they want. They give no fuck, just as long as there's enough for them. Gotta get on the microphone down at Walmart. Thank you for listening, Ass Kickers, and be on the lookout for future podcasts from ORHistory.com. We hope that you agree that today's episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Kank Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. Kick-Ass Oregon History is on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. Follow us on Instagram, at History. We're also on the Facebook. The email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. Want more Kick-Ass Oregon History in your life? Become a podcast supporter. Learn more at ORHistory.com. Be sure to check out our website, ORHistory.com, for this episode's webpage, we're going to post a PDF of a scan of a book titled Zorba the Buddha, Rajneesh Cookbook. The book was published in 1984 in Rajneesh and contains a shit ton of veggie delights, just in case you'd like to skip the salad bar, dude. Just don't get too close to Mr. King Crispin. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass. With a peace sign on his license plate, giving me the finger and running me out of his lane. God made us number one because he loves us the best. He should go bless someone else for a while and give us a rest. History.com.